Hello everyone, welcome to Typhoon Talks, brought to you by Typhoon Consulting, a boutique management consultancy headquartered in Hong Kong. I'm Chen Yang, a consultant here with the firm. In this monthly news review episode, I'm joined by our two new analysts, Annie and Elena. Welcome. Hi everyone. Hi. So this month we are going to start off while looking at a Hong Kong local startup event, the RISE Conference, which just finished a week ago. And then, just to follow up on the startup topic, we are going to look at how SoftBank has been ramping up its investments in technology companies around the world following the launch of the 100 billion US dollars vision fund. And finally, we are going to review the ongoing US-China trade war with a focus on its implication to China. Chen, you just mentioned the device event, and we know that you were the only one who actually went there. So can you just give us a quick update what was what was going on there? Yeah, so RISE is a Hong Kong-based tech conference featuring speakers from the world's biggest tech companies and the most exciting startups. Um, this was the fourth year with over 350 speakers and 15,000 attendees in three days. That's impressive. Uh, yeah. So there were a lot of people there, a lot of startups there. And what I found most fascinating of the event includes two parts. One was the high-profile speakers who commented on the startup ecosystems in different regions or their own company's latest development on a very high level. And another part I really enjoyed was the networking opportunities. So during the daytime, there were a lot of startup booths to showcase their ideas and the capabilities. Mm -hmm. And during the night, there were a lot of uh, sponsored drinks. So it was a good opportunity to meet new minds. Yeah, definitely. So what was the most remar remarkable thing there? What was the most uh, you know, impressive talks that you remember from, from being there? Uh, yeah, so there were a lot of um, high-profile speakers, such as the founder of Tinder, CEO of Sogo, CTO of Didi, CEO of Meitu, and CEO of Hansen Robotics. Um, so, uh, what I found interesting was some talks from uh, some Chinese tech companies. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, the CEO of Sogo, so I'm not sure if you are familiar with Sogo or not. So it's not really. um, one of the biggest search engines in China, and it started as a, a Chinese input software. Mm. So is it like a Google for China? Yes, but Google started as a search engine, and Sogo started as an input software. Oh, so mm -hmm. the most Chinese people knew about it by inputting Chinese into them mm -hmm, when, mm -hmm. it, when they need uh, a, an input software. Um, so the CEO was there um, to talk about the latest development of the company and the speech was addressed in ma Mandarin Chinese. Uh, usually the RISE organizer would provide a simultaneous interpretation to uh, all the attendees if the original speech wasn't addressed in English. But in that talk, there was um, they used the Sogo engine to provide simultaneous translation on the big screen wow. and had an accuracy of 80% That's based impressive. on my observation. So cool. That's impressive. Yeah. I don't think Google even has this accuracy. Uh, I'm not sure about Google. I think 
maybe not for Chinese, because yeah, Google's capabilities yeah. in Western languages. But Sogo has been focusing on Chinese languages for a long time. And the CEO was actually talking in a normal speed instead of sl slowing down for the mm -hmm. software. But the accuracy was really high. So I was really impressed by that. And then during the talk, he mentioned a few latest AI-based developments. So for instance, because um, they have collected a lot of um, Chinese data, they can simulate your lip movements and facial expression based on plain text. So he showed a demo of uh, a, an anchor reporting uh, a, new, a piece of news. And he said the whole thing, the whole video was simulated based on the text. And it was uh, reporting on the rice event, actually. <laughs> so it was quite, impressive. Yeah, it was very interesting to see that. Um, another uh, talk that I remembered was from the CTO of Didi. That's the company, Chinese Uber, that acquired mm -hmm. a real Uber in China, actually. Um, so he mentioned the 10-year the strategy of Uber in three directions. Uh, one is the smart infrastructure. So for instance, they are going to focus on road design, smart traffic lights. So you know, sometimes it's unnecessary to put on the red light because there's no car coming from the other direction. So with smart lights, it can adapt automatically based on the road situation. Mm. That's going to be a big project with the government. That would definitely benefit the traffic situation. It will improve the smart city a lot. Um, and another part is uh, smart vehicles. So he talked about the smart vehicles not in the sense of autopilot cars, because they found the technology not mature and they, don't, they said they don't want to people put people's life in danger. But what okay. it meant yeah, by exactly because we we remember about the last episode with the the Tesla. Uber accident. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But what he meant by uh, smart vehicles is more in the sense of um, electronic cars and uh, smart cars that can collect user behavior, user data. Okay. Mm. Like how you drive. Yeah. Uh, where so that the insurance sit. companies can use it afterwards. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And the third part uh, they're going to look into is uh, the shared mobility, so carpooling. Mm. Ah, okay. Yeah, and also another talk is from um, Meitu. It's a China <laughs> selfie app. Almost <laughs> every Chinese, Chinese girls will use it uh, <laughs> when they take a picture. Um, so he, what he talked about was, so initially this app focused on the facial beautif beautification, mm -hmm. yeah. but these days they are looking into the bone structure as well. Mm. So when you take a picture for your whole body, you can also beautify your body structure, body proportion, and it won't mm -hmm. distort the background. So that's based on the AI technology. Well, that's definitely a threat to, to the dating apps. Yeah, yeah, everything <laughs> will be fake in the future. <laughs> um, and also they're looking into the 3D virtual identity with real-time movements. Um, and this can be applied to webcam uh, outfit matching, mm. etc. Uh, also, they're looking into how to use uh, pictures to um, tell how healthy your skin is. So it's a skincare software. Oh, mm. okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that would be really useful, especially because the dermatologist um, currently charge you some impressive amounts of money just to look at your skin. Yeah, but um, they are all at the early stage of the R&D, so you don't know how, they might be launched very soon. Mm -hmm. um, right now they are just very nice ideas. Well, we would be really hoping for their um, soon launch. You mentioned the startups. What would you say were the most noticeable trends among startup pitches? So this time there were some major sectors, such as insurance, healthcare, mm -hmm. Um, e-commerce, 
gig economy, etc. Um, but almost every startup was talking about how they used blockchain or AI to their new mm -hmm. business. Um, it's almost become an overtalked topic. Yeah. Very buzzword. Yeah, yeah, very buzzword. But you, you, to me, I find them still at very, very early stage. I don't see any killer app using mm -hmm. blockchain. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, sometimes I don't know why they need to use blockchain for some traditional model. So. It's unclear to me whether they are using it as, like any said, a buzzword or a real disruptive technology. Yeah, I think for the future of blockchain, the biggest um, threat that I can foresee is that it's, a, it's such a modern technology that we don't really know what we don't know about it. There must be a lot of hidden uh, tricks and um, empty holes where you can go through and actually disrupt this technology and make it weaker. So I'm not really sure, I agree with you, whether you know, a blind application of this technology into every app and every service actually makes sense right now. Moving from the startups, um, there is some news about SoftBank uh, creating a 100 billion fund which uh, aims to give away all this money to the most promising uh, high-tech startups on the market so any, um, what do you think is um, the vision, <laughs> sort of for repetitiveness of this vision fund? Yeah, so SoftBank is fundamentally a domestic telecoms company, but they have made a lot of um, tech acquisitions recently, and when they announced the $100 billion vision fund, it got a lot of hype, uh, because it's such a large amount of money, and it, what they want to do with it is very you know, visionary, as the name <laughs> exactly. suggests. So essentially what they want to do is they want to invest this $100 billion in 100 emerging technology companies, and they want to create some sort of massive technology ecosystem. Um, and they would do this two different levels. So the first is obviously removing the capital constraints that tech companies face, and this mm -hmm. is by giving them a lot of money. Yeah, that's definitely um, a lot of money. Yeah, it is. And the second one would really be to encourage collaboration. So they're um, really fostering connections in terms of mergers or just general partnerships within the companies that they invest in. Uh, and that's what they've said is the vision for their fund. Yeah, so SoftBank has been taking a lot of minority stakes in a lot of tech startups around the world, such as Uber and WeWork. Um, but the problem with SoftBank is that the stock price has not appreciated much over the past yeah. five years. It has picked up a little bit after the announcement of the Vision Fund, but it's, it remained at a very similar level compared to five years ago. Um, so I think the uh, main purpose of having this fund is to actually boost up the share price mm. in the future. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so like we mentioned, they they are fun. They were fundamentally a domestic telecoms company, and they had owned Sprint, which is an American um, telecoms company. But they're really kind of moving into a space where they're essentially just a publicly listed um, like venture capital firm because their their Sprint and T-Mobile have this big merger, and they're also publicly listing their domestic telecoms business, which means that they're essentially comprised of their minority holdings, a bunch of companies, and now this new vision fund. So I think they're really hoping that this new kind of structure that they have will help them as a company. Yeah. So do you think maybe they put too many eggs in one basket without, without really keeping some of their core products in-house? In a way it is because they, 
it's not as if they have a lot of you know internal capabilities in in investing but similarly they are diversifying in that they're investing in market leaders across all the industries so for example in terms of ride sharing they've invested a lot of money in uber it's one of, i think it is their biggest investment they've invested in dd as well and um, an indian ride sharing company mm -hmm. and so they're really trying to identify the biggest emerging technology markets and putting their money into the ones that they think will really, really succeed. So you mentioned the ecosystem that they're trying to create. Um, given such a diverse range of investment in different sectors, and you know, obviously after the whole um, fund gets exhausted, do you think that they would actually be able to create a well-functioning ecosystem out of this hundred, you know, maybe two hundred companies? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, um, especially because so they're in a position where they want to look kind of further in the future and figure mm -hmm. out what the future of technology is, right? But um, they some of their investments have been critiqued for being quite questionable. For example, they invested quite a bit of money into WEG, which is a dog sitting startup. So yeah, definitely no high tech. Yeah, so it well, I think it involves technology, but it's like, is that really what the future of our world is going to look like? It really depends on, you know, so right now it really depends on what they invest in, the types of deals that they're making, whether these deals are successful and whether the companies will be successful in the future. So I think that it's a great idea in terms of creating this ecosystem, um, but a lot of it is up to chance in not only the sectors that they bet on, but the companies that they put their money into. Yeah, definitely. So given that they will, let's say, manage to create some sort of ecosystem in the future with this company, what would be the impact um, of, of this ecosystem on the whole tech landscape, especially in the uh, Asia-Pacific region? I think in the APEC region, SoftBank is going to focus a lot on China or China-related investments. So for instance, in the past, they have uh, made a half billion investment in Zhongwan Insurance, which is China's first online insurer. Um, also, they have invested a lot in uh, China's Uber, Didi, mm -hmm. uh, and recently Didi is going to um, expand into Japan's tax hailing platform. Um, and I think it's a it's a smart move to partner with companies like SoftBank to leverage on their local market expertise and their network. Because you know, in Japan, it's um, by law, it's people are not allowed to uh, run a taxi if they don't have a license. Yes. So they, for any foreign players who want to enter Japanese markets, they need to team up with a local dominant player um, to get the local taxi drivers to sign up for mm -hmm. the app. Um, right. So I think SoftBank can, can help Chinese companies to expand into the Japanese markets and a few other markets. Um, and they can also create more synergies among their own portfolios. Um, in APAC region. So basically, do you think there would be the soft bank would be that connecting force uh, in the new te technological revolution if it will be able to create the ecosystem? They will be the facilitator for sure. Mm -hmm. um, with their not only with their funding but also with their strategic role in the mm -hmm. deal. So now we're going back to our favorite topic, which we discussed in our previous March. A news podcast. So it's about U.S.-China trade war. So in our last podcast, we discussed whether the trade war, in traditional ways we know it, will take place between the United States and China. In the last couple of weeks, we have witnessed an ongoing escalation of this conflict. 
Both countries are now following a harmful tit-for-tat strategy which also affects economies of their neighbors. So just to give you a quick update of the recent news and the overall uh, outline of how the trade war was escalating. So it all started with Trump accusing China of intellectual property thieves. So the common practice is to trade intellectual property for the access to Chinese market, especially when we're talking about the joint venture projects. So for example, if uh, an American company wants to go and start selling its products to the Chinese market and it's trying to do it through the joint venture with another Chinese company, Chinese government would push it to disclose all its intellectual property and share the patent information. So that was the main idea behind um, introducing the, um, the tariffs. So after several long negotiation rounds between the international trade ministries of US and China, which did not yield any of the, any of the results, um, we have seen the first wave um, of tariffs which were of equal value, approximately $34 billion. And they were obviously from both sides and they were imposed within a couple of days from each other. So the recent tariff, which US has introduced only recently with the value of almost 200 billion uh, Chinese goods, um, is unlike the other wave of tariffs, is really unlikely to be matched by China since the value of um, Chinese imports does not exceed 164 billion, so China would have to be really creative in replying to to this um, second tariff from the United States. So what do tariffs primarily target? So American tariffs primarily target the high-tech products uh, of Chinese origin, such as airplane parts, smart TVs, and other um, difficult-to-produce machinery. Um, so such choice of products is a clear evidence for us of um, your strategy to slow down Chinese 2025 initiative, which tries to make China one of the biggest player on a high-tech market. So going, um, talking about the affected countries, after the initial tariff on aluminum and steel, which was 25% from the uh, United States, major corporations uh, have felt the immediate impact. So, for example, even Harley-Davidson announced that the increased prices of its components are likely to be felt by the customers themselves. Um, China is also struggling since its mainstream of new high-tech ideas is now closed. Even major mergers um, and acquisitions between American and Chinese companies got declined uh, without any sufficient reason and for us it's clear that it's just the continuation and escalation of the of the trade war. So for us it, it's um, again quite clear that unless China focuses on other countries, uh, potentially European countries like uh, Germany which is a big tech hub who is also capable of producing on-par technology uh, similar to the United States and Japan. Um, I don't personally think that China possesses enough domestic capabilities in high-tech sector to produce innovations which would be advanced enough to compete with current world leaders like, as I already mentioned, United States and Japan. So apart from China and United States, 
Hong Kong was also affected, although um, it's supposed to be protected by the Separate Policy Act. Um, we obviously know that, um, that a lot of trade volume between China and US goes through Hong Kong. So obviously all the, um, all, all the shipping companies uh, would, would definitely feel the lower volumes of trade. And of course, if any of, the, of their clients from each of the sides would get out of business because of the trade war, that will definitely hit them hard enough. Another large company which is also likely to feel the impact of the tariffs is Vitasoy, which is also based in Hong Kong. So just to give you a quick overview, um, China, is the bi- China is the biggest importer of soybeans in the United States. Even Mexico, who is the second biggest um, importer, uh, they only buy um, six times less soybeans than that uh, does China. So in the recent tariff from the Chinese side, China has completely cancelled its major order on soy products from the United States. So it is uh, definitely a piece of really bad news for Vita Soy. And from their uh, reply, it was clear that to keep, to keep prices competitive enough, uh, Vita Soy will have to face really har- harsh pressure to um, make their production processes more efficient. And of course, not mentioning the need to find the right replacement for the input. So currently they're considering um, Southeast Asia as a potential uh, import hub uh, for their Hong Kong products and Canada uh, as a as a importing hub for for the rest of the world. So overall, it is very clear from um, current examples and history as well that trade war and other tough protectionist policies did not bring any substantial benefits any of the participating parties. Okay, thanks so much, Elena, for that quick update on what's happening with China and the U.S. That's it for us for now. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Typhoon Buzz and on iTunes and SoundCloud at Typhoon Talks for more podcast episodes. And please visit our website at uh, typhoonconsultant.com for more industry points of view. We hope you'll join us again next time.